me. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this sunny but cold Sunday morning. We'll take the sun, right? We'll take it. Let's stand, please, and join together as we worship God. stand as your redeemed. We live in you, we live for you, we live to you, our King. We stand in you, we stand for you, we stand as your redeemed. And this is the new song we sing to the King of heaven. This is the new song we After all you've given, we stand before you redeemed. As your children, this is the new song we sing. And this is the new song we sing to the King of Heaven. This is the new song we bring. After all you've given.
Father, we are in awe of you, of who you are, of what you have done and what you continue to do. We have gathered here today because of you, and we pray that you will be glorified in our worship, and that you will help us to be more committed and to be people who are more connected to you and to one another as your disciples. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. A few things in the bulletin that I want to uh, bring to your attention. If uh, you have been asked about being on the ballot for this year's annual election, uh, we're going to be putting together a a booklet uh, just to help uh, with folks that you may or may not know or a few things about uh, people who are going to be on the ballot. So we're taking a few pictures this morning, so just a reminder about that down in the basement. uh, uh, Those pictures will be taken this morning, uh, those of you who can. Uh, tonight, we have a special gathering at 5 o'clock. Uh, we have a, a baptism service. The small groups will meet on regular schedule, those who meet to, that meet tonight. But we're going to have a baptism service at 5 back here in the sanctuary. And we hope you'll be able to join us for this exciting event. Wednesday evening, all of our regular act- schedule regular activities. It is the last meeting for our children's ministries this year, uh, this coming Wednesday night. And next Sunday, worship at our regular times of 8, 29, 40, and 11. Uh, there are some ministry opportunities for you. Uh, this is the last day to sign up to work in the nursery uh, over the course of the summer, and there are, there's a sign-up sheet in the back for that. Also, we're looking for some folks who will help with Children's Church. Again, sign-up sheets in the back for that as well. And also, you see an opportunity to help with Sunday school uh, over the course of the, um, uh, from May through June. So if you can help with that, any of those ministries, that would be greatly appreciated. And it is an opportunity to, to help share your faith with uh, some of our uh, younger, younger people in the congregation. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, some things that are connected to us specifically, as well as events going on in our nation and around the world. And we're praying for God's grace and mercy and power in each of those circumstances and situations. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us with uh, giving our tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
will finally believe one day hearts made of stone will break in pieces and one day chains once unbroken will fall down at your feet so we pray together. If uh, you'd like to come and pray at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, in this moment of silence, I want to offer to you our praise, our thanksgiving, our prayers of adoration as a means of giving you glory for who you are, for all that you've done.
Father, as your children who worship you. We hear your call to bring before you not just our praise and adoration, but also our concerns. This morning, there is much in our own lives that we need to pray about. Sins we need to confess. Burdens we need to place in your hands. Anxiety and fear, apprehension, uncertainty about the future, pain. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers about the concerns of our hearts. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for others. We pray for people who are grieving. We pray for people who are struggling with illness, with pain, the difficulties of living in this world. We pray for those who are facing great burden and hardship in our nation, tragedies from evil, from living in a world that is broken and imperfect. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for others. Father, we pray that you will continue to shape us into the image of Christ. Give us compassion for people in need. Give us hearts of love for people who are hurting. We pray that that you will make our hearts to look more and more like yours. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. And thank you for answering in the way that you know is best. We place all of our concerns into your hands, giving thanks and praying through the grace and the mercy and the power of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 10 and verses 22 through 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does, does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please stand and join us as we sing. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, my soul longs and even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied. Tasted and I've seen Come once again to me 
We are often enamored with new. You know, we we, we get excited about uh, a new car, a new house, a new computer, and and you know, there's something there's something invigorating about having something new. And there are things in our lives, I'm sure, that we're thinking, boy, I'd love to have something new. Of course, our culture is continually telling us that we need new things. I mean, how often do you see advertising on TV or you go to a store and it's new, it's improved, it's better than ever? You know, it's tennis shoes to window cleaner to toilet paper to breakfast cereal. You know, I mean, you take your pick. Everybody is thinking about something new. It's always better. It, it's, this, it's this new thing that you've never experienced before. And, and obviously it works because we keep getting the advertising. They keep coming at us with what's new. Now there's nothing wrong with new. The problem that we have with this yearning for new is that we make new our idol. And we think sometimes that if we just had something new, if we just had this new thing, then we would be happy. And we get it, and we're happy for about 30 minutes or maybe 30 days. And then what we had was new is no longer new, and it's old, and now something else we want that's new. But here's the thing that I'm discovering is that yearning for new is not just something we've created. It's actually something from God. Truth be told, God is more enamored with new than we are. The difference is God's new is not for us to make it an idol. It is something, it is a gift of God for us to experience. You know, we're in the middle of, of Easter season, and, and because of the resurrection, heaven becomes a reality. And as we're thinking about the resurrection and the resurrected Christ, it changes everything about what God has promised us. It brings to fulfillment all of the promises of God about heaven, about eternity, about eternal life. And one of the things that God tells us as we look into this, this revelation, this vision that John has that he's recorded for us, is that in this vision we read about, the part of the vision we read today in chapter 21 of Revelation, it says, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. And the problem is not that, that we don't, that, that new kind of, veers us off course. The problem is, God's view of new is so much greater than ours. So when we think about new, we're thinking about little stuff. We're thinking about cars and houses and computers and things like that. God's thinking about new in a way that is so big, it is hard for us to even begin to wrap our minds around it. 
And yet God says to John, I am making all things new. And he talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And that existence, what God has promised for us, what God is preparing for us, is going to blow our minds. When we think, you think about the greatest thing that is new you can imagine, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what God has in store for his children. He's creating something so new and so unbelievably great that it's hard for us even to begin to understand it and for John to describe it. God loves new. I want to talk with you just a few moments this morning as we look at this chapter, just to grab a few things out of it about some of the things that are going to be new that God has in store for his children. One of the things that that he tells us here is that we, we see this image of heaven that is filled with beauty. We didn't read this section of the passage, but he talks in the, in the middle section of chapter 21 about the gates of the city. And all the different jewels and stones that, will, that they will be made of. And this, this beauty and the sense that God loves to create. And we know God loves to create. All we have to do is look outside this time of year. Once the snow stops, we will begin to see, you know, some of God's creation coming up out of the earth in plants and flowers. And God doesn't just create beautifully. He creates with such variety. And we're discovering more and more of the ways in which God creates. And he loves to create. And you look at all the varieties of us that God creates. And in the new heaven and the new earth, God will continue creating. And what's fascinating to me is that I think when we get to heaven, we will be people who continue to create. Sometimes, you know, I, growing up, I, used to, I, I had this sense that work was a part of the fall. You know? Because work is hard. And work can be tedious. And, and work can be difficult. And, and I've thought, you know, I look back and I think, you know, if we hadn't, if sin hadn't entered the world, we wouldn't have to work. And then I realized that work is a gift from God because creating brings us great joy. And you think of something, when you finish a a job and you look at it and and you feel good about it, there is a sense of joy in that. And as we create things, there is a sense of joy. And I don't think that's going to stop on this earth. I think the new heaven and the new earth will be filled with us having the the joy of creating because we're made in God's image, in the image of the creator who loves to create. And God finds great joy in creating and he has instilled that into us. And we find joy when we create. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but somehow we're going to be able to create things in a way that fills us and others with great joy. And on and on and on it will go. Because it is a gift of God. And we're, and and, and that's why we create now. We're getting a glimpse of what that day is going to be like. And we create now and we find joy in creating. And we find joy in in accomplishing work. Of course, the the, the fall was not that now we have to work. Uh, the, The result of the fall is that work is now hard and not as productive as it would have been. And there is a struggle in work. But the problem's not the work. That's a gift of God. And one of the seven deadly sins is not work. It's slothfulness, laziness. God has given us the gift of work, and I think that's going to continue. And what he's asking of us now as we look toward that day is to see what we do here as a gift of his. The gift of creating and working and doing things. It's a gift from God. And we're beginning now to get a glimpse as resurrection people of what that day will be like. We also have in this image a a picture of of the security 
that God will give us in that new heaven and new earth. I'm fascinated by the fact that something we've, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about often is that when we get to that point of existence, there'll be no crying, no pain. That all of those things that, that bring sorrow and sadness and hurt to us will be gone. But you also find at the end of this chapter a description of the city where the gates will no longer be closed. And John says the gates are not closed because there's no night. Now you put those two things together. You think about an ancient city surrounded by a wall with a, a gate. And what happens? Every night you close the gate. Why do you close the gate at night? Because it's an issue of security. At night people can sneak in and you won't see them. And of course at night is when most of the crimes take place. And, and it, it's something about the darkness makes us more afraid and, feel, and we feel insecure. You know that feeling of, of going through a night of fear and anxiety. And all it takes is the first light of dawn to begin to calm our fears. Something about the daytime gives us a sense of security. And John says when we get to that day, there will be no night. It will be all day. We will be perfectly secure. There's no reason to close the gates. There's nothing to be afraid of. The resurrected Christ has completed all the work to be done and we are experiencing it. He is victorious. He has conquered. And all of the things now that bring fear and anxiety and worry and pain to us will be gone. And it will be new. And it will be awesome. More awesome than we can imagine. But here's the thing. Even though we can't, we don't know that same sense of fullness of security now that we have then. We are resurrection people. And we live in the power of the resurrected Christ. And yes, we will experience fear and we will experience anxiety now because that's just a part of being human. But somehow the resurrected Christ needs to make a difference in us. That when we fear, we at the same time experience the security of Christ who overcomes. And we can live in victory and in power and in in grace and strength. And we don't have to be overwhelmed by anxiety. We don't have to be overwhelmed by fear. Because Christ has conquered our greatest enemy, death. And that means Christ has conquered all of our enemies. And we can live with a sense of security even now. As we prepare ourselves for living in the fullness of security on that day. I was thinking a lot about that this week as I watched the the situation in Boston unfold. And you could sense, even watching on the television, the fear that had gripped the city of Boston. And, and it's amazing that, that the, we could actually shut down a city of that size. And people stayed in their homes. And people waited out the night. And you could, you, there was the fear and the anxiety was, was almost palpable, even watching on television. And then you watched what happened when... When the threat was gone and people came back out of the streets and they began to celebrate and and rejoice in, in the sense of security they had that the threat was gone. And I thought as I as I watched that unfold, I thought the day is coming someday when we won't have to worry about those threats anymore. We have to live in in that sense of fear that we wrestle with now. But even as we live on the earth now, we live in the hope and the power of the resurrected Christ. And the new, the new experience that God has for us of security in that day, we actually can live in the, in the sense of that and the power of Christ even today. I think one of the most fascinating things about this particular passage of Scripture is John's description of the city. 
he says that, that the city is like, is, is the bride of the lamb. And he says the, city, and the bride is, is dressed up as the wedding, ready for a wedding. I don't know how you put a wedding dress around a city. You know, I've been imaging, picturing that in my mind. And, the, you know, the, you sort of have these mixed metaphors, it seems like. But what, is, what struck me as I read that is how often God's people are described as the bride of Christ or, the, or God's bride. And it's not just in the New Testament. In, in Isaiah 61, it says, The Lord my God has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. Isaiah 62, never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. And in Revelation 19, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, he makes that strong connection between the, as the church, as the bride of Christ. Here's what struck me as I read that. The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. It's the city where we live. And the church is clearly, in the New Testament, the bride of Christ. When we get to that, to heaven, when we get to that, when we experience the new heaven and the new earth, whatever that may be, it will be in the context of the church. For a long time in my mind, I had this idea that the church is just something we need on earth. And once we get to that heavenly existence, the church won't exist anymore. John tells us nothing could be further from the truth. When we get to that heavenly existence, when we experience all the new that God has for us, it will be in the context of the church. It will be, we will be God's people there as the church. And we will worship God as the church. And we will live in the new heaven and the new earth as the church. As the bride of Christ. The church is not something temporary for now because, you know, we're, we're just not quite able to handle life. So we need the church. But in that, when we get to that point, we won't need it anymore. The church is the eternal bride of Christ. It will be how we live. It will be the city in which we exist as God's people. And that ought to say something to us about how important the church is now. It ought to say something to us about how we understand God and how we understand one another as followers of Christ. You know, so often we think about our relationship with God as just me and Jesus. And we see the church as negotiable, important, but, you know, take it or leave it. And that seeps into our lives and into our theology, even of the eternal existence. Some of you who've been around the church maybe a little longer might know the name Dottie Rambo. She's a gospel, southern gospel songwriter. She's written lots of songs. Probably her most famous is We Shall Behold Him. Sandy Patty made popular a number of years ago. And she written a number of, of interesting songs, a number of good songs, but like every songwriter, some of her music you go, I'm not sure about that one. I remember as, as a child hearing people sing this song that I never really thought much about it, but it struck me this week as I was thinking about this passage. The chorus of this song says, Just build my mansion next door to Jesus. Till all the angels, I'm coming home. It doesn't matter who lives around me, just so my mansion sits near God's throne. I mean, I guess that's okay. But something in the back of my mind says, no, 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 that's not the right theology. It does matter who lives around us. 
Heaven's not just about me and Jesus. It's about all of us and Jesus. It's ironic that in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes the people who, for whom heaven is not what they want and they're more acclimated to hell. Part of their, their mindset is they build their houses as far away from each other as they possibly can. Because they don't want interaction. And I'm convinced that heaven is a social place. Heaven is about the people of God. It's about the church. And, then, and it will be the church in its perfection in that new heaven and new earth. And that ought to say something to us about how we view the church now. And this local church and the church universal and the church historic about how we're connected to one another. And that's a good thing. I'm convinced that one of the most profound oxymorons in the world is Christian independence. It may be one of the great heresies of the 21st century, one of the great heresies of the evangelical church that we promote, Christian independence. And we've somehow bought into the idea that I can be Christian with or without the church. But the scriptures keep telling us in the Old Testament with the people of Israel and in the New Testament with the church, you can't. That's not what God intended. That's not what being a follower of Christ is all about. It's about following Christ in the context of the church. Because if that's what's going to be in eternity, why wouldn't it be important to us now? You wonder, why do we think sometimes the church is negotiable? Why do we wrestle with that? I think one thing that's obvious is the church is kind of inconvenient. It's hard. Relationships are hard. And we get on each other's nerves and we hurt each other and and we disappoint each other. Because that's what human beings do. And something in our mind says the church ought to be perfect now. Even though we know that's not the case. Of course, when we think about that, we're always thinking about what other people are doing to hurt us. Rarely do we think what we're doing to hurt other people. And the church is hard. It is difficult. It's a struggle. And yet, we are more apt to grow in the context of struggle and difficulty than ease. I also think that one of the reasons we wrestle with this image of the church in the West particularly is that we live lives of relative ease. You go to places of the world where there's persecution, where Christians face face harsh circumstances because of their faith in Christ, and, and you will find the church strong and in people's minds it's non-negotiable it has always amazed me when I think about places of the world where people are persecuted and most of the time people are persecuted not just for being a Christian but for gathering as the church that's where the persecution really comes when they gather together as a church and yet they keep doing it they keep coming together at great risk Why? Because the church is so vital to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe we ought to change our language a little bit from I have a personal relationship with Christ to I'm a part of having a corporate relationship with Christ. It is definitely both. But sometimes we become... We have such tunnel vision about us and Jesus, we miss the larger corporate nature. And and the more I think about the new heaven and new earth that God is designing and how the church is the context in which we understand that relationship, it just solidifies for me more and more the importance of the church now for each of us. We can't expect heaven on earth with any of these things. But we do live on earth with the mindset of heaven. And if God tells us and reveals to us, this is what that new heaven and new earth is going to be like, then what we do now 
ought to be preparing us and ought to reflect something of that as we get ready for that day and that time and that eternity as we exist with him. As you think about your priorities, as you think about your life now, as you think about the struggles and the burdens and and the, the stuff that you're wrestling with and the decisions you're making as a follower of Jesus, can you honestly say that that your goal is to reflect here what God has promised there. All that God is making new in that day, do we see glimpses of that in our lives together here? I think God wants us to. I think that's what God is calling us to as we prepare for that day when God makes everything new. I want us to take a moment of silence just to to ponder this image that God has given us and to think about our perspective about the priorities of how we're living now and whether they reflect what God has revealed to us about then. Father, thank you for giving us a glimpse of what you've prepared for us. We pray that you will help us to to want what you want and to, to live now in a way that prepares us and reflects what you are going to do for all eternity. Maybe about our work. Maybe about our struggles of security. It may be about our view of the church. But help us to see life now in light of what you have prepared then. That we might begin to live even now in the spirit of the newness that you are preparing and have created. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. 
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.